coming up. When friends didn't hear from her that next day and the day after that, and that she didn't show up at the funeral home for work, that's when they kind of started to panic. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Rachel Anderson had just turned 24. She was amazing. She was a great person. She cared about people. She loved everyone. She just wanted to live her life and be happy. After a weekend of celebrating her birthday with friends, on Monday, January 29th, 2018, Rachel doesn't show up for work. This young lady that I work with has not answered her phone all morning. Uh, Our other bosses have tried to call her and we're very concerned about her because it's not her personality not to call or show up. A coworker and a friend of hers each go over to her Columbus, Ohio apartment to check on her, but nobody answers the door. A candle is burning inside, so the property manager goes in to put it out. He looks around, doesn't see Rachel anywhere, and leaves. Still concerned, the friend decides to go back, this time with permission to go inside from an ex-roommate whose name was still on the lease. When he does, he opens up a closet door and finds his friend's body tied up inside. Monday morning, January 29th, Anderson was found by a family friend. Police say her body was in her apartment in a closet, hidden. It's sad when something like this happens, but our role is to try to get to the truth and try to give the family some closure in regards to what happened and why. Joining me to talk about this case three years after the crime occurred is Bennett Haberly, chief investigative reporter at WBNS 10TV in Columbus, Ohio. Bennett, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So late 2018, the body of 24-year-old Rachel Anderson is found in her Columbus apartment. What happens from there? What's the next thing that you found out? Well, a few days pass, and then Columbus police hold a news conference and announce that they've made an arrest. And... What really struck me about that news conference was the fact that they said that they had their man initially and that they said the DNA linked him to the crime. We were able to conclude uh, with certainty that uh, Anthony James Pardon was responsible for her death. And the other thing that stuck to me was the fact that they said the victim in this case was tortured. I don't think I want to go into exactly what the torture consisted of, but it was a violent death. And so we started off looking at who was this person, what was his background. And what we found was pretty disturbing. Anthony Pardon grew up in a troubled home, got in trouble in juvenile court, had a juvenile conviction for rape, raping a small child. And then when he was about 17 or 18, had another rape conviction, this time as an adult, accused of raping and attempting to, to drown a woman who was the mother of one of his classmates. And so he ended up going to prison for about 25 years for that crime. He got out and then eventually moved to Georgia, gets in trouble for failing to register as a sex offender, serves another nine years, comes back to Ohio as part of a prisoner exchange program. And then Rachel's killed about six to eight months after he returns back to Ohio. Before we get into where things go after the arrest, let's talk a little bit about Rachel Anderson. Who who was she? What did her life look like in January of 2018 when this happened? So Rachel Anderson uh, was an aspiring uh, funeral home director, which was an interesting profession, but one her friends say fit her. She had an interesting uh, personality. Um, Her friends felt like she was a a vivacious person, uh, really outgoing. Um, And just a, a young woman starting on her career path, 
who had moved to Columbus and, and, and was hoping to uh, uh, begin work in that profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from following your reporting and all of 10TV's reporting, I mean, she was finishing up an apprenticeship at a funeral home. It, it seems like maybe they were planning to offer her a job. It just really seems like she had so much going for her that this was just an exciting time in her young life when this happened. Right. And you can imagine yourself as a 24-year-old, where you are in your career path, and you just feel like you have your whole life ahead of you, you have your whole career ahead of you. And that's the path that she was on, the path that she wanted to become this funeral director and that her friends say she was you know, living the life she wanted to live. So, so you mentioned uh, a few days after she doesn't show up for work, they announced that an arrest had been made. What did we eventually learn happened um, b- between those two events happening after she didn't show up for work? What did their investigation look like as they tried to find her and then eventually figure out what happened? Well, it was interesting because her friends say that there was an initial sweep of her apartment and that law enforcement didn't find her. It was actually a friend of hers who had gone back into her apartment, I guess after the, the, the scene had been cleared initially, and discovered her in her closet. And that discovery was extremely troubling to this friend. And it, it was obviously shortly thereafter that, that law enforcement came back in and, and resumed their investigation into the crime scene. Um, but in talking with that person, it was, it was something that really stuck with him and uh, was really troubling to see. And based on the description that law enforcement gave, it, it was obviously a grim scene as well. Mm-hmm. And do we know what it was that led investigators to Anthony Pardon? I believe it was DNA. The, what was interesting about this case was that there wasn't any signs of forced entry, um, but they believe that that Pardon was somehow in the apartment uh, waiting on Rachel uh, when she arrived back home, that he had a girlfriend in that area and perhaps had seen Rachel there before. That's what prosecutors uh, speculated. That's kind of the narrative that they pieced together with this. Um, But it was DNA that eventually linked him uh, to the crime scene. And this was uh, right after Rachel had been celebrating her 24th birthday, if I'm not mistaken? Right. Right. She had, she had been celebrating with friends and had, uh, had returned home. And it was when friends didn't hear from her that next day and the day after that, and that she didn't show up at the funeral home for work. That's when they kind of started to panic. Is there any connection that we know of between Rachel Anderson and this 53-year-old man who's then arrested for her murder, Anthony Pardon? It depends on who you ask. According to Anthony Parton, who wrote us a letter from jail, he says that he knew Rachel Anderson, that the two had gotten high together, that that they had, you know, at least that familial relationship or at least an, an acquaintance relationship. Um, but, but prosecutors have denied that, uh, saying there was no evidence that the two ever knew each other um, or that that was the case. When Pardon is arrested, we would learn that he was serving out post-release control probation for a separate crime. I know this detail has raised some questions about whether or not uh, maybe he should have been being watched more closely by the parole authority. Can you talk about what you've learned about all of that? Sure. That was the main focus of our investigation. We have already been working on uh, looking at people who were under post-release control and and the failures of the state to closely watch people after another woman uh, was killed here in Columbus 
prior to Rachel's death, about a, a year before Rachel died, uh, there was another high-profile case here in Columbus where this happened. Uh, so when we started digging into who Anthony Pardon was and learned about his past and his his past convictions for rape and the fact that he moved to Georgia and got convicted of failing to register as a sex offender, a part of the terms of his release and return to Ohio from a judge was that he would have to wear a GPS ankle monitor and pay for its expenses. Well, the state of Ohio and its corrections officials agreed to accept Anthony back in Ohio, but they didn't agree to those terms, saying that they were concerned about the expense issue. Now, it's not clear whether Ohio didn't want to foot the bill for GPS monitoring or if they thought that Anthony couldn't pay for it. But either way, what you ended up with was a person who had just spent 30 years, 30 plus years in prison, coming back to Ohio and having very lax controls over him. I mean, he, he lied to the sheriff's office about where he worked. Um, there's evidence that he uh, got caught with a prostitute, got twice caught driving without a license, and no sanctions happened to him. In fact, the second time he got caught driving without a license was the day before Rachel was killed. He was pulled over driving in his neighborhood in Columbus by a state trooper. Uh, and he told the state trooper that he'd gotten out of prison after spending 30 years there. And the trooper admonished him for not having a license, searched his vehicle, and then ultimately just gave him a ride home, saying, you can't drive your sister's car because you don't have a license, but I'll give you a ride home. And the next day, Rachel's killed. Wow. Thinking about all of that, this is really one of those cases where it's it's hard not to think about all of the different what-if scenarios, that if things had gone a little differently, maybe Rachel Anderson would still be alive today. Right. I mean, it fuels the belief that this crime was not only egregious, but preventable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's tough to sit with. Have they made any changes as a result of, of this investigation? Well, not, not specific to pardon, although his case was looked at. Um, as a result of this case and the others uh, where the ability or inability of the Ohio Parole Authority to closely watch people— Uh, The governor basically ordered a task force to be developed to take a look at some of the problems within the state's adult parole authority. And so prior to COVID, uh, that group had been meeting several times and had looked at this case and others and and felt like there was a need to have a series of changes, at least in terms of policy. And they were in the middle of doing that when the pandemic struck and the group hasn't met since. Anthony Pardon's trial would take place then in early 2020, I know that got a lot of attention in the Columbus area. WBNS had reporters out there. How did that trial play out? Well, it was obviously an egregious crime. Um, He is a career criminal and uh, obviously is convicted of this murder because DNA ties him to the scene. Um, The defense, uh, his public defenders uh, tried to point out uh, what they alleged to be errors along the way. Um, but ultimately, there wasn't any denying that that Pardon's DNA was on Rachel Anderson, and it put him at the scene at the time of the murder. And there was no getting around that. And Pardon's now serving life in prison as a result of that. Um, it, it sort of speaks to several things. Um, you know, the randomness of the crime, how difficult this was to for her friends, for her family, and based on what we found, how preventable it was. I'm Bennett Haberly, Chief Investigative Reporter at WBNS in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Daily Crime. We are a daily podcast. That means we're covering a new case every day, Monday through Friday. If you don't want to miss all of those episodes, be sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also check out more podcasts from Vault Studios, including Bardstown and The Officer's Wife by visiting vaultstudios.com. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. Redmond.